0: Welcome to the New Life Baptist podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Well, let me invite you to take the Word of God, if you will, this morning. Let's open the Word of God and turn in the Word of God to the book of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to watch the gospel continue to spread, watch the gospel continue to go to the ends of the earth. And what we're going to see at the beginning of Acts 16 is very simple Paul and Silas are going to pick up another man named Timothy and they're going to begin to move. And as they move, they're going to either see the Holy Spirit shut doors or the Holy Spirit begin to open doors. God is shutting and God is opening to show them, here's where I want you to go. And here is how I'm going to use you. And here's where I'm going to take you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And it's incredible what we see at the beginning is, is Paul is literally given a vision. God gives Paul a vision of a man. A man in Macedonia who is praying and crying out, God, bring us the gospel to me and my people. God, we want to know the truth. We want to hear the truth. We want to experience the truth. And God gives Paul this vision. When Paul wakes up, he knows that's where we need to go. And what I love about that simplicity of that vision, the simplicity of that dream that God gives Paul is this. That there are people in our lives everywhere who need desperately to hear about Jesus. We don't have to have a vision. We don't have to have a dream. We know there are people at our work. There are people at our school students. There are people in our neighborhood. There are even people in our own house who desperately need to hear who Jesus is and what he has done for them. And so we see the importance of going. We see the utmost importance of telling. And we see what God does when we follow the leadership of his Holy Spirit. And so in light of that, let's stand together under the authority of God's word, if you will, with me one more time today. We're going to start in verse 13 of Acts 16 and hear what God does when he leads. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to, watch this, the women who had assembled. Now a woman named Lydia, she was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple fabrics and she was a worshiper of God. She began to listen And what did the Lord do in her listening and her seeking? The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household, her family, had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And there she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. Have a seat, if you will, today. Let's keep the text open before us. I'm also going to invite you to take the backside of the worship, God, and turn that over and let us walk together as we plug in some things through the Word of God here today. I mean, it's going to start off with God giving Paul a vision, and it's going to start off with God calling Paul to go to a place, but ultimately what's going to happen is God's going to work through his obedience. Paul's going to go. Paul's going to do what God has called him to do, and when we see Paul and Silas and Timothy, when we see them obedient, we're going to see God do incredible things. And I want to challenge you with that thought this morning. As we walk through this text, how is God calling you to be obedient? And what is God calling you to be obedient to do? We are in charge of obedience. God's in charge of outcomes. And so, how does that come to life? How does that come to play? We're going to see two things happen in this text. And here's number one we see the Savior finds the seeking. All right, the Savior finds the seeking. Who's seeking? Well, in verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And so you remember the pattern of the book of Acts. Every time they go to a new place, a new town, a new city, the very first place that these guys would go was to the synagogue. They would go to a synagogue and there they would preach from the Old Testament to the Jews gathered about the Christ about the Messiah, about the one they've been waiting for. They would connect all the dots about who Jesus is and how he fulfills all the Old Testament. All the prophecies are found in Christ. Well here we're we're in European soil for the very first time. We are outside now the nation of Israel. We're outside of the people of God and now we've gone to a new place. And when they come here there's no synagogue. In fact, we have no idea if there are any Christians to be named yet. And so they show up, and with no synagogue to preach in, they hear about some Bible study that women are having down by the creek. And so they go down to the river, and Paul begins to find these women who are in a Bible study, and we meet a woman named Lydia, the very first convert in Europe and it says in verse 14 a woman named Lydia and where was she from from the city of Thyatira a big city of trade and what did she do she was a seller of purple fabrics a seller of very high costly expensive garments and she was also known as a worshipper of God what was she doing when Paul began to come and hey i hear i know you are gathering here let me tell you what you're gathering around here's the truth of God's word she began to listen and when God began to proclaim the word through Paul, the Lord opened her heart to do what? Not just to hear about it and think that's an incredible truth. God opened her heart to respond, right, to, to answer to the things spoken by Paul. We met a man named Lydia, and based on the description, we know two things about Lydia. Number one, she's pretty successful. Right, her job would be to work with people either of royalty or of high affluence, all right, so she's got people, she's got connections, she's got names, she's got a business, All right, she knows people, she works in an expensive industry, and she's able to collect a lot of people and do a lot of things in a lot of high places. And so Lydia appears on the front of the page to be a very successful person. But secondly, we read that she's a worshiper of God. What does a worshiper of God mean? You remember the Ethiopian eunuch and you remember the Roman centurion. Both of these people were described as worshippers of God, which means what? Which basically means they've denied the world and they want to know who God is. They want to know God. They've heard somehow, somewhere along the way, someone told them about the true God, the living God, and they were like, yeah, I feel like that's a stirring in my soul. This world has not been enough for me. Roman paganism isn't working for me. These gods are not what I'm going after. I know there's something more. More importantly, I know there's someone more. And so Lydia is a worshiper of God. She doesn't know Christ. She's not yet heard the gospel of Jesus She's not a follower of Jesus. She's not a Christian, but but she's seeking to know who God is. She wants to know desperately the God she's heard about. She wants to know the God of the Bible. She wants to know who who, is her creator, who has died for her. She wants to know everything about this. And I love that we have this picture of Lydia because on the front page again, it looks like she has it all. She has everything that you could ever want in a worldly perspective, and yet it's not enough for her. She's got the job, she's got the relationships, she's got the career, she's got the industry, she's got apparently some kind of wealth in her eyes, and she's got something going on, but her heart is unsettled. She's seeking to know more. The world wasn't enough, the job wasn't enough, the success wasn't enough, the relationships weren't enough. She kind of evaluated everything that she had, and she was like, man, is this all there is to it? This can't be all there is to it. And she'll begin to seek more. She's searching for more. And I love that in the middle of her seeking more, seeking to worship and know who God is. I love that in the middle of her trying to meet God, God meets Lydia. God comes to her, right? God comes all the way over to meet her. Paul begins to preach the gospel. And then the Lord begins to open her heart. To open her heart to what? To respond in obedient faith. And then she believes. And not only does she believe, but it says in verse 15, when she and her household, her family, have been baptized, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So we see her respond in obedient faith. And then what? Go home and say, guys, you wouldn't believe this. Jesus has changed my life i got to tell you all the good news. What we've been looking for is found in a man named Jesus. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He died so that we could have our sin forgiven and our shame forgotten, and he died for you and me. And if we call upon his name, believing in our heart, we will be saved. Our whole household, whole family, they all responded. They all had believer's baptism. They went through those steps of publicly declaring that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And I love that we have the story of Lydia. Because it shows us very clearly that your soul will only be satisfied when you seek out a Savior. Your soul will only be satisfied when you seek out the Savior. Because Lydia was seeking God, right? She's seeking God. But more importantly, God was seeking her first. Think about this. The reason her heart was unsettled... The reason why the world wasn't enough, the reason why she's a worshiper of God and not a worshiper of, of all the Roman ideology and all the worldly ideology, the reason that she's trying to find who God is despite not having the full picture of who God is is because she was seeking to know God. She was trying to know God. She wanted to know God and she knew that the world wasn't the answer. And all of a sudden, God's heart, was God began to stir up her heart, unsettle her heart. And lo and behold, on the other side of this picture, what do we have? We have God giving a vision to a man named Paul to go preach the gospel to some people because they need to hear about it. And so we got all these things coming together and all of a sudden Lydia seeking God. But in the meantime, what's going on over here? God's seeking Lydia. All right, all these things are coming together, not by accident. All these things are coming together, not because of situational circumstances. God has ordained this moment together where he would meet her. He was seeking Lydia. He was seeking her family. He was seeking to change all those people's lives all before they even knew what was going to happen. And that's so encouraging. Because you may think, I'm just here to have a normal Sunday. I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here. I'm here because I got dragged here. I'm here and I don't even want to be here. Right? You may have all kinds of reasons of why you're here. But you're here because God's interested in you. You're here because before you ever began seeking God, God was seeking you. And perhaps he's using all these things in our lives to somehow bring us to an encounter with him. Never an accident. It's always supernatural. It's always God-ordained. And we see that if you've not found Jesus, it's because you're not seeking Jesus. Right? He's looking for you. And I would say make this your story, that you were seeking God and God met you. So we see that God finds the seeking. And that takes us even secondly to the second part of the story, is the Savior frees the slave. All right, we see the Savior finds the seeking and the Savior frees the slave. Go to verse 16. After they... Left Lydia's house. They were going to the place of prayer, it says in verse 16. And then a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us. And that's a woman, a slave girl with a demon in possessing her. And he was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And you're like, hold up, it sounds like the demon is proclaiming the gospel. In a way, yes, because the demons know who God is. The demons know who Jesus is. In fact, they know, and it says in James, they tremble, right? So we know the demons know Jesus. In fact, the gospels, you go back, they're the very first people to recognize Jesus. They say, hey, son of man and God, what do you have to do with us? Right? They were the first people to recognize the authority of Christ. And so here we have a demon calling out, hey, Y'all listen to these people. They're telling you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days in verse 18. But Paul, being greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. Kind of confusing text a little bit at first. Because at first read, when you just read it plain, it sounds like she's doing a good thing. Right, sounds like a hype man for the gospel. She's the official hallelujah, the official amen girl for the kingdom. Right? She's falling around and she's saying everything, amen, hallelujah. If y'all followed me around all day long and y'all were just like, amen, John, hallelujah, John, that would be kind of cool. But here we have this, and it's not cool, and it's not good because she's not just proclaiming the good news. She's not a hype man for Jesus. She's a demon-possessed slave girl. And number two, a distraction to the declaration of the kingdom. Right? She's distracting because she's not on the side of Christ. She's opposing Christ because she's filled with Satan's work and filled with Satan's worker in her life. And so we see this, that she was involved in satanic sorcery. She was involved in fortune telling. And her earthly masters were able to use her to, to make a lot of profit. They would sell her, her prophecies. They would sell her predictions. And so she's in spiritual slavery, but she's also in physical slavery. Right? She has a spiritual master named Satan, but she has some earthly masters who are using her and, and abusing her and taking advantage of her and using her for great worldly gain. And after becoming greatly annoyed by this slave girl who, who's not working for the kingdom but working against the kingdom, what does Paul do? Paul says, I've got enough of this. In the name of Jesus, come out right now. And what happens immediately, not more than one, you know, re- command, not not a slow process. It was immediately the slave girl was set free from the possession of a demon and she was set free from physical bondage. She was set free from spiritual bondage and she was set free from an earthly master to a heavenly master who would love her and gave himself up for her. She found freedom in Jesus. And I love when you have these stories of Lydia and you have the story of this unnamed slave girl, it teaches us an incredible gospel truth. God can save anyone, anytime, anywhere. not that incredible? One side, a lady kind of all put together. Has a career, has a life, has community, has friends, has got good morals, is a good, nice person kind of doing things. And yet she just doesn't know Christ. But she needs to know who Christ is to become not a nice person, but a new person. But then you have the other side, demon-possessed, broken, dysfunctional. All kinds of problems, all kinds of mess, all kinds of, of, of all kinds of depravity and depths to that. And all of a sudden, on both sides, they both needed Jesus and they both were saved by Jesus. They both heard the gospel. They were delivered from their sin. They were delivered from their darkness. They were delivered to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And God can save anyone, anytime, anywhere. No one is too bad they can't have salvation. And no one is too good that they don't need salvation. We all come to Christ the same way. We all have the same need for a Savior. And I love that we see these people come together in the same story because there's always a message for your mess. I don't know what your mess is. Only God knows the full depths of your mess. But there's a message for your mess that God can save you, God can deliver you, and God can draw you to Himself and make you a brand new creation in Him. You are in reach. No one is too far gone. But not everyone celebrated that. It's an incredible thing to see, a demon delivered. But, man, these men see exactly what happened to their business plan. It says in verse 19, "...when the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, right, their little cash cow was taken away from them, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, "...these men are throwing our city into confusion." They're Jews, so here's the first problem. They're being Jews, they're not of us, and they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So they come and say, hey, these these guys are breaking the law. We're under the Roman Empire, the Roman rule, we're polytheistic, we worship the Roman gods, and these guys are coming and talking about another god. And their god is messing up our system." All right, their God is messing up our economy. Their God is messing up our relationships. And these guys need to be punished because they're messing everything up for us. And so, y'all need to do something about it. And so, what do they do? The crowd rose up and they said, Yeah, we're against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes and stripped them down. And they proceeded to order them to do what? Be beaten with rods. All right. So, that's their punishment. You guys are coming in, proclaiming a different God. Now you're going to be beaten for it. And when they struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, he threw them not just into jail, he threw them into the inner prison, or at the depths of the prison, the darkness of the prison, and then he fastened their feet in the stocks. So they were beaten within an inch of their lives. They were persecuted for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They delivered a girl from darkness to light, from death to life. They did it all in the name of Jesus. All these people witness it, they watch it, and they turn them over and say, This has got to stop. We got to stop God coming here. And so, as they do, these men are taken, they're arrested, some kind of trial of some sort, they're beaten within an inch of their lives, they're beaten, they're bloodied, they're battered, they're bruised, they're broken. And they're thrown into the innermost part of the jail, into the darkness and the depths of the prison system. And what do we find two guys like them doing? What would you expect? You would expect silent breathing. You would expect praying. You would expect all kinds of, God, where are you? God, what happened? Why did this happen? All I did was what you told me to do. God, you even told me to come here. You told me to come here for this guy. What in the world are you doing? We don't find any of that. What do we find these two guys doing at the edge of their life? we find them praising God in prison. Look in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Prisoners were listening to them. Can we pause just for a moment before we go on? Can you praise God in the middle of your prison? Can you stop and be like, God, I'm beaten. I'm bruised. I'm broken. God, I don't have the answers. I don't know why I'm here. But, God, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to praise you anyways. I'm going to praise you because you're good. I'm going to praise you because your promises are faithful. I'm going to praise you because you love me. God, even though when I don't see the whole picture, even when I don't feel the picture, God, because right now it doesn't feel good. Right now it doesn't look good. Right now it has not been a great experience. But, God, I still know you're with me. And, God, I'm going to praise you even in this prison. Because most importantly, God, not only giving you glory, but watch this. There's a lot of other people listening to me. There's a lot of other people that I have an opportunity to influence. Man, I've been so impacted by people who have persevered through great prisons. I've been impacted by the stories of people, faithfulness to God in the middle of brokenness. Amen. Because why? Because what do we see here? They were singing and what's happening? Everyone else is listening. They're a witness in the prison. They're a witness for God even when they should not be. They're a witness to God in all things. And they began to cry out and sing out to God. And it goes on, it says after verse 25, after they were singing, everyone was listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer woke up and saw the prisoner doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out, With a loud voice saying, Hey, stop, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights, rushed in, saw everyone still accounted for, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's incredible. They're praising God in the middle of their prison, they're a witness for God, even in their weakness. They're rejoicing for God, even in all their rejection. They are doing all these things at the witness, at other people to see and hear who God is and what he's done for them. Even when it's not ideal, even when it's not perfect, even when it's not the way it's supposed to be, they're being willing to be used by God, and all of a sudden it happens. God shakes the earth. There's a divine earthquake that comes, and it's a pretty localized earthquake, Right, It's a localized earthquake to this prison. The prison doors, the foundations are shaken. The doors open up. All the chains fall off miraculously off all these people from an earthquake. They get loosened. They're all set free. And the door's wide open. All they have to do is walk out. And the jailer sees what's going on. He wakes up from his shift. He's asleep. Wakes up and he's like, oh man, that's it. They're all gone. And the only way for a guard to get his honor back, because that was a great uh, threat to his honor, that was a great disgrace for him to lose a prisoner, the only way to get your honor back was not going and saying sorry, was to kill yourself. And so he's like, I'm not going to die in shame. I'm going to die with honor. So he's going to die the honor death. And as he does so, as he's about to do it, Paul says, stop, brother. We're here. God has not told us to leave, so we haven't gone. We are all sitting here waiting on you. And sure enough, All the prisoners were accounted for. The jailer comes to the end of himself, comes and gets on his knees in great humility before these two guys. And he says, man, listen, what do I have to do to know who you know? I hear you singing. I hear you praising God. I hear you with faith in the middle of failure. How do I know who you know? What do I need to do to get saved? And what do they tell him? The same answer that that we give everybody who wants to know Jesus Christ. It's faith alone in Christ alone. That's the only way we all come. It said in verse 31, "...believe in the Lord Jesus. Have faith in who God is and what He's done for you in Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved." And then you can go and lead your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. They began to proclaim the gospel to everyone who was gathering. His whole entire family heard the good news of Jesus. And obviously as they believed, when he believed, he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized. Just like our boy Cohen was this morning. He and his whole entire household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them. And what was his attitude? His attitude of possibly the worst night of his life, but became the best night of his life, he rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole entire household. This is incredible. This is one of those life-threatening moments where this man comes to the end of himself and is like, man, I I need to make a change in my life. Something's got to give. And he realizes at the end of the day when he was about to take his own life, he was out of reconciliation with God. He didn't have a relationship with God. But he knew two men who did. He says, men, What do I need to do to get saved? What must I do? What are the steps I got to take? I need to know who you know. I hear you singing about him. I hear you praising him. I hear you praying to him. I want to know the man that you know. And I love that he just asks. He has the humility enough to say, I don't have the answers, but I want to know the answer. Will you tell me the answer? And what I love about Paul is when Paul presents the gospel, he says, hey, listen, it's not something you change. It's someone that changes you. It's not something you change. It's not steps to take. It's someone who changes you. This guy repents of his sin. He receives Jesus as his Lord, and then he leads his whole entire family and his household to be saved and to be baptized. And he rejoiced that he experienced salvation. He rejoiced that he got to meet Jesus. He rejoiced that he was changed by God. And I don't want you to miss the whole picture. God did not provide an earthquake to free Paul and Silas. God provided an earthquake to free this jailer. He was the one in bondage. He was the one stuck in sin. He was the one who was in the shackles of sin. He was the one enslaved to sin. He was the one in the prison doors of shame and guilt and distance from God. And God shook that prison to get a hold of him, to set that man free. And I love that Paul and Silas stayed. I want you to think about that for a second. Would you be willing to wait on God to watch God work? Would you be willing to wait on God to watch God work? What do you mean by that? I'm not encouraging you to stay in some unhealthy situation or stay in an unsafe situation. But what I am encouraging you to do, would you be willing to stay and do what God has called you to do to see someone get saved? Because here's what I mean by that. These guys could have got up, walked out, right? But we're free. Praise God. He delivered us from this. We don't have to be here no more. We get to walk out. We get to be set free. They could have thought that prison doors were open for them. But they stayed because their assignment stayed. They stayed because obviously the Holy Spirit didn't lead them out. They stayed because God had a work for them to do here in that jail cell. And they stayed to watch God work. And if we're not careful, what do we do? We escape to get out of stuff as fast as possible. Man, how do I get away from this person as soon as I can? This is an uncomfortable conversation. I don't like this person. I can't wait to get away from them. We tend to look for ways of escape, right? Because we don't want to share the gospel and we don't want to evangelize. And maybe we don't want to be around certain people. And maybe we don't even want to be around the people who beat us, right? And the people who are overseeing that force, right? We don't want to be around anything like that. So a lot of times we're looking for escape. But when you're following Jesus, we're not looking for ways of escape. We're looking for ways of evangelism. Right? God opened the doors not for escape. God opened the doors for them to evangelize. All, right, all of a sudden, the doors were open so they could tell this man about Jesus. All of a sudden, God worked all these things that he had for them, and they just waited on God to watch God work. And if they would not have waited, they would have missed it. Just like that. Because sometimes we care more about our comfort, and we care more about our convenience, than we care about someone else's conversion. So what was that practically look like? Would you be willing to have a harder conversation maybe with a coworker and stay a little longer to share the gospel with somebody at work? Would you be willing in your own household to say, hey, this might be kind of awkward for us, but we're going to have this conversation. We're going to pray together. I want to tell you about Jesus and how he's changed my life because I care more about you than I care about me. Right? Would you be willing as students at school to, to share the gospel with whoever, whenever, because, hey, you care more about, again, their salvation than you care about your status. What we have to understand here is that the kingdom of God does not escape. The kingdom of God invades. Right? Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the advance of the kingdom of God. Which means what? That Christians, we don't have fences. Satan has fences. He's trying to keep us out. But guess what? He can't stop the church. He can't stop the gospel. Satan can't stop the mission of God's people. And so we don't escape. We advance the kingdom of God, taking it where? To the ends of the earth. That's the whole great commission. That's the whole application of Acts 1-8. Is we're not trying to get out of here. We're trying to get him out there. We must go. And we must tell. And that's our takeaway today is that God often, y'all plug this in, God often has an incredible opportunity to be used by him on the other side of your obedience. God often has an incredible opportunity for you to be used by him on the other side of your obedience. And we miss a lot of opportunities if we're not obedient. To be used by God. Man, God wants to use you. Did you know that God has a plan to use you? God made you for good works that you should walk in them. As Ephesians 2 says, man, God wants to use you to make a difference in your world, to be light and to be salt wherever you are at all times. You're making a difference for Jesus. We see the Holy Spirit here initiate all these things. But as he initiates, man, the Holy Spirit invites us to join him. And you never know what's on the other side, what other opportunities waiting for you to be used by God on the other side of your obedience. Let's be faithful to follow him right now. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.